Welcome to Let's Talk Church. I'm Brian, and we're here to talk about the things that are going on in the church world. We talk about blog posts, articles, vicious rumors, things that are going on in the church world, and we think it's important that we talk about it. So let's jump into this and let's talk church. Oh, welcome back, Ted. We are here to chat and uh, see what all's going on. I know it's been a, a what, a month since we've, we've last yeah, talked? Yeah, we've both been pretty busy this summer. My goodness, you uh, uh, you and I have both been all over the place. You got to go and do some traveling. I did some moving and working with kids. It just it hadn't happened, yep. so we're glad to be back. I think uh, last time we said we were going to talk tonight on uh, church polity. Is that yep. right? So can you, in a couple of sentences, explain church polity what, what do we mean by that I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit i know yeah uh the way i understand it um uh, is this is the organization and, and governance and i'm sort of kind of halfway quoting from wikipedia here um <laughs> i'm not looking at wikipedia but i'm going off of what i've just read recently uh the the organization and governance of the church body of and not a individual church per se but of the more what we would call a denomination or, you know, section of church or something like that. So um, how does, how does leadership structure work? Where does authority fall on? Does it fall on single individuals? Does it fall on groups of people? You know, how does it, how does that fall? So that's Mm -hmm. how I understand it. Is that how you understand it? Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's a good, good outline of where, where we're going with this. Um, it's, it's interesting. You know, we were talking just like literally 30 seconds ago <laughs> about how some things are, um, more sacramental versus administrative, right? There's, there's those differentiations. And I think tonight's more focused on, uh, more so the administrative, right? Cause the majority of these, um, polities, I guess you would say, fall into the administrative roles, right? There's, there's one clearly that's, that has a very distinct, uh, sacramental role, but, uh, so I, th- I think it's going to be a good little discussion. Um, hopefully lead us into some stuff to talk about next time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good? interesting how these have developed over the years as well. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, there's more historical ones, there's more modern ones. And so how, how these have developed, why they've been changed from historical things is pretty interesting. Cool. Well, let's, let's go down the list and kind of talk about uh, the brief um, overview, I guess, kind of a 30,000 foot view of what the different polities are. And then let's just kind of chat about them and see see where we go, what we think, pros and cons, etc. Sounds, Sounds good to you? Okay. Uh, well, the first one, the oldest one, right, the most ancient, is the Episcopal model, right? Not the Episcopalian model, right? Not the Anglican model, right? But the Episcopal model uh, of having uh, bishops and dioceses that serve the churches, uh, this was 
it's it's interesting because it is it is the most ancient you know i mean we get the word episcopal from episkopos right in the greek which comes straight from the new testament uh meaning the overseer the one who sees over if you take it etymologically um so this was i mean paul wrote about it um right there in the new testament so it's as old as you can get and still be a part of the church <laughs> so um this is this is going to be the the catholics uh the eastern and oriental orthodox the anglican churches um, all fall into this episcopal model and when we say Ep anglican that includes the american uh, episcopalians right because they're technically a part of the anglican church um, some Methodist churches follow a, a Episcopal model, but not all of them. So they, they get kind of interesting. And there's, there's this interesting, I've used the word interesting like a dozen times tonight. I'm going to try not to do that anymore. Um, there's this pattern that emerges in some of the African-American Pentecostal traditions specifically in the U.S., uh, that have taken on this titular role of the Episcopal model. Um, we, we'll come back to that as we, as we dig in a little bit more, because I do have some anecdotes that go with that. Um, but yeah, so they've, the, the bishop, right, in these groups serves as the sacramental head of the church, um, of all of the churches within their diocese. And we could get into the history of, of diocese and all of that, but I don't, I don't think this podcast is our deep, deep dive into stuff. That's my other one. Um, so does that cover Episcopal enough for you for a 30,000 foot overview? Yeah. Do you have questions so far? No, um, I was trying to remember where I was reading in it's got to be recently, so it's got to be either Second Corinthians or Romans, because we were reading this with the kids. I think somewhere in there, Paul talks about he doesn't want to step on the toes of somebody else's um, uh, authority, and I can't remember where that is. I'll have to find that later on. But I, I think Paul, even that early in the church, was was saying something about. Uh, there, there were realms of authority already being established by these different leaders in the church, and he, he had to make sure that he wasn't, um, he, he wasn't overstepping yeah, something. Yeah, I, I, I remember that, and like you, I don't remember exactly where it is. Um, I, I'm going to guess you know, somewhere in Second Corinthians because that's we just finished that one. I, I think ago. I think you're right, kind of in the middle there, because uh, he's telling them something, and he's he's you know, but obviously your local. Uh, bishop is the one he would have used episcopos but um you know the in the first century right so when paul was writing um between like 40 and 65 ad um the bishop would have been your local mm -hmm. pastor right we can we can get into into this a little bit uh because there weren't enough christians to justify having a church on right. every corner, right? Uh, we have that now, right? So sometime in the late second, early third century, if I remember my history correctly, uh, the church came together and said, we need to have uh, the presbyters, 
right? Who are also mentioned in, mm. in the text, you know, step in and lead a parish, a local church body, all under the oversight of the overseer, right? Serving in his authority. Because, you know, when you do the Eucharist, communion, Lord's Supper, whichever one you want to call it, every week, and you start to have thousands of people in your church every week, in the modern world where everything is industrialized and, you know, we can spit out bread on a, on a conveyor belt, right? It's not quite as big of a deal. But when you're having to hand make every loaf of bread, having to feed a thousand people the Eucharist is a bit well, hard. Especially right? if you think about like how so, a Catholic church nowadays gives the Eucharist. That would be a long line. It would take a long time to go through. <laughs> right, exactly. So they did. They had to split it up. And so you had bishops right. who took over, um, still maintain their sacramental role, but um, oversee multiple congregations at yeah. this point. Uh, so the next type of polity type that we that is on this list uh, is called hierarchical. This is probably the one of the least known ones that are out there. Um, and um, the Salvation Army is a great example of this one. Um, mm -hmm. And so they are organized like an army. They have a general and they have colonels and they have officers and enlisted and different ranks of people in charge of certain things. Um, and they are very geographically oriented. So they have different areas or zones. And then those zones are split into territories and those territories are in divisions and have different people in charge of all this stuff. And there's individuals in charge um, of these particular areas. And it's a, uh, it's extremely hierarchical. Um, now, when it comes to appointing someone to fill a vacant post there is a little bit of democracy among peers um or among uh the higher ups you know pulling up someone to fill a particular post that gets emptied um but for the most part it's very this person says this thing and we do it type thing um right and so the hierarchical is is there um and this, i think the salvation army is a great example of that particular one so the the others in this this hierarchical group, um, I guess you would call it the group in our list, right? Include uh, some people like the Seventh Day Adventists, mm -hmm. Jehovah's Witness, Church of Latter Day mm -hmm. Saints. Um, those are all. Um, do I dare say it? They're all groups that are likely to follow my other podcast, Faith, Frauds, and Falsehoods. So go check that one out in the very near future where we dig into their hierarchical structure significantly deeper. Um, uh, next one on the list is the connectional. Th this one was interesting. Uh, did you did you find yes pretty interesting so stuff a lot of here? We're just going to keep using the word interesting. It's my favorite. A lot of Methodist churches do this. <laughs> and if I went into the historical part of it, it makes a lot of sense. So, um, so they have this, it's, it's a kind of Episcopal, um, and they call it connectionalism. Sometimes they even spell it with an X, um, connectional. Um, I, I saw that it was weird. Yeah, They have this, uh, <laughs> interconnected network of what, so this is what it actually says. 
They're connected in a network of loyalties and commitments that support yet supersede local concerns. So they have this idea of hierarchy. So they might have bishops, depending on which type of Methodist you are and those kind of things. But even if you're not called a bishop, they might have councils um, that are in charge of things. Um, ministers of the gospel are appointed by the, the councils and they're appointed to circuits and circuits are groups of churches. And so if you think right, back yep. in the day when the Methodists were kind of getting off the ground, they had circuit writers. Circuit writers are a big deal in American history and even in British history of the, of the Methodist church. Um, you can, and even in an African, uh, when the Methodist churches went into to the continent of Africa, they would have these circuit preachers who would would go around from church to church on a, on a you know monthly circuit or you know um, seasonal circuit and, and preach. And then while they were gone, they would have men who would have a instructional book basically who would read out of the instructional book and it would be very um, uh, very regimented. But then when the when the minister came back around, he would give more you know uh, uh, trained instruction i guess you would say that way um and so it's a it is organized via geographic so in england pretty much all the geographic zones are basically the counties of england um i don't know what the layout in say america is or or um the continent of africa but um so this is the idea of it's a, it's a variation on the episcopal model as well but it's mainly just for methodist churches yeah, one of the one of the churches that we spent some time in before making the move to Dallas um, was a was a small little Methodist church, and the pastor there served that church and a teeny tiny little church out in the middle of the woods, right? Uh, and the bishop bishop in quotes um, served all of Arkansas maybe just southwest mm -hmm. Arkansas maybe they had three divisions mm -hmm. within Arkansas I don't I don't really remember um, but it was it was kind of that uh, it was all split up he was appointed right spent spent time at both places um, the church there the church did get to vote sort of right the bishop could appoint someone and the church could vote to accept that appointment mm -hmm. or decline it, right? But the church didn't go out looking mm -hmm. for someone, right? Like they do in the congregational mm -hmm. model that we'll talk about here in just a few minutes. So it, it's, it is, it's kind of right in the middle between the Episcopal and the mm -hmm. congregational. It's interesting. And so. it was born out of almost necessity. You would, you would kind of, you kind of imagine that way. Um, right. And then the fourth one on our list is the presbytery model. Um, this is actually the one I'm most familiar with. It's what I grew up in. Um, I didn't grow up Presbyterian, but the churches that I grew up in, we'll talk about those later, uh, followed this model for the most part. And basically that there are different um, uh, layers of councils or courts, sometimes they're called. Um, mm -hmm. And... Uh, some Presbyterians, some people who pres uh, do presby presbytery, they differentiate between teaching pastor, teaching minister, teaching elder, and ruling elder. Um, so this might be the 
you know, in the churches I grew up in, we had pastors and then we had board members. They didn't call them elders, but they were board members. Um, and a lot of, they had this hierarchical group of councils um, that people would represent your church or then represent your next level of uh, council. So you had your local church, they would send representatives to the district council and then your district council would represent people to the national council or state council or whatever. And they would have these different layers of councils that would have different amounts of representatives. Not everybody went to the massive global international one at the top, just representatives from different layers. Right. Um, and different, uh, different rules, different, um, rulings on theologies or, you know, issues of the day, depending on the severity of it would be put out by these different, uh, layers of council, um, different governance rules about, you know, here's how we're going to, you know, name our churches or here's how we're going to interact with different churches of our denomination or that kind of thing would all be determined at these different levels as well. And so that's the presbytery model where you have basically layers of pastors or elders that are in different levels of councils altogether making decisions. Right. Cool. And the final, right, uh, polity model is the congregational model, which is pretty much uh, Baptists and a lot of non-denominational Yeah, you would groups, have to be if right? you were non-denominational. So, right. Um, I mean, they could be hierarchical, sort of. Uh, yeah, there's, there's some nuance yeah. there. But, you know, for the local church, yeah. Um, but, yeah, primarily Baptists fall into this group. And so, in some cases, it's even called the Baptist polity model because it's most prevalent among the Baptist churches. Uh, essentially, this is, this is where I grew up, right, in a, in a small little Baptist church. And the local congregation, the local laity, are the ones who decide all the major things, right? They reach out and they find pastors and they call the pastor. They do their own finances. They do everything, right? It's all done at the local level. There's very little administrative governance among the lo the, the full denomination, right? I mean, we all know the Southern Baptist Convention, right, happens, right? But each individual church is completely autonomous, right? They do things their own way. The Southern Baptist Convention doesn't come in and say, you have to have your carpets this color, right? right, Or anything, anything like that. It's essentially agreeing to you know, statements of faith that we can all be in exactly. with each it's, other. Yep. Uh, which even then doesn't right. happen. Right, because there are some churches that decide you have to be a member of our church before you can take yeah. communion with us. Right, so it's really more of a money sharing and missions right. uh, task than anything else. Um, so that is, I mean, pretty much everything lands at the congregation's feet, right, to deal with. So that is the five, five. Yep, there's five big ones. Uh, different different church polities. I'm sure that there are some other little um, 
versions out there, but they're, they all are going to fall into one right. of these somewhere, right? Uh, this covers pretty much every possible way of governing anything. Yeah. So, um, and like I was mentioning before, a lot of this, I, I liked seeing where the, how, why this happened and what the historical thing about that is, uh -huh. you know, the Episcopal thing was the first way, um, we actually don't have a lot of church polity being discussed in the scriptures. We have hints, we have bits and pieces of it, but it's not like there's a document that says, here's how to run the church for the next 2000 years. Um, there's a lot of, do, do you see something I don't? Maybe not, not, not necessarily something written it, it, in the 27 books of the new Testament, right. but there's plenty written about it. What? By people who studied under right, the apostles. So in, in the so. scriptures, we don't have anything that's <laughs> written by that. Um, but we had this Episcopal model that was basically the really only the model for 1,500 years until the Protestant Reformation. Right. Uh, and then when the Protestant Reformation happened, one of the reasons why uh, the Reformers saw that there was this problem was because there was a... Um, a lot of authority invested in individuals. And so one of the ways they protested against that was by, um, you know, John Knox and his presbytery model. And he wanted to spread mm -hmm. out what among his, his, one of his phrases was a plurality of elders. He wanted a lot of people who were qualified men to be elders, biblically qualified men to be elders to have, you know, a, a, a vote necessarily in, what this is going to be running at. And he was doing this in reaction to single bishops or single, you know, even parish priests that were possibly abusing some of their power and some of their authority at the time of the reformation. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Abusing is definitely right. the right word there. Um, and then we get the congregational method, even splintering off of that because we had the church of England come in and even though they were probably a little bit of the Episcopal models. And then we had, you know, the, the church of Scotland, which would be the Presbyterian module, uh, model. Uh, but we had the Baptists show up and they were even protesting further against that because there was still abuses in that system as well. And so they had this, well, we're just going to be completely independent. And so we don't have any one person who can tell us what to do or shut us down. And, um, and, you know, so that we can, we, we, we can continue doing church the way we want to do. Um, right. And that's just a very interesting historical way that this is kind of unfolded in, uh, and the connectional model, like, like we said, was just a, a splinter of the Episcopal model there, but, um, right. And, and made, made first circuit writing preachers basically. It, right. Yeah. As, as an American, right. The, the congregational model, right, is like, yes, this is great. It puts the power in the hands yep. of the people, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but fortunately, this is our opinion podcast, so I can give some anecdotal thoughts here. Uh, I have a friend that I used to work with at a local little Christian bookstore. And her husband is a pastor in one of the local Baptist churches, right? Um, pretty small church, not nothing, nothing big. 
and she and I got to talking one day because, yeah, I think it was probably pretty early in my quest towards orthodoxy um, and my realization that the bishop, in my opinion, is is vital. And I, I just asked her, what what would happen in a small little Baptist church as part of their denomination, right? Because they're part of a denomination, right? Uh, even a subset within the Baptist denomination. What would happen if the preacher slowly started teaching Arianism, right? Uh, for those who, who don't know, Arianism is the idea that Christ is a created being, right? He's, he's not eternal. And she just said, well, the, the, the church would have to vote him out. I'm like, but, but if someone starts teaching this, right, if someone starts taking these ideas, they're probably not going to come out one Sunday and teach Jesus as God, and then the very next Sunday or even that Sunday night teach Jesus as a created right. being, right? It's not really how that happens, right? It's generally a pretty slow, slow boil, yeah. right, for the, the perfect analogy. You know, so how would this particular denomination deal with that? And she kind of sat back and she thought, she's like, I'm going to have to talk to, to my husband about that. She came back the next day and she's like, the church would just teach Arianism. There's nothing that the congregation or that the denomination could yeah. do, right? It would have to be up to the congregation. And she said, well, we would hope that that the Holy Spirit would just move and somebody would stand up and say something. And it, it kind of struck me. I was like, you're in this tiny little Baptist church that this particular Baptist denomination teaches cessationism. I'm like, so you're expecting some gift of the Holy Spirit to suddenly activate to teach you guys that your pastor is wrong somehow, yeah. <laughs> even though you've been teaching all this time that that doesn't happen anymore. It just, it scares me. Right. And it's how we wind up with, you know, groups like Westboro Baptist, right. I'm talking about next week with Matt, um, you know, cause they have no oversight. Right. There is no overseer, right. Who can judge the theology and judge it well. Yeah, I think it's been evident throughout history that all these models can lead to corruption. And there oh, of course, is, yeah. Um, and that's because we have people, right, that are in these positions. People are yep, flawed. People are fallible. Um, yep. And, uh, and, and it's easy to – okay, so we could start off with 10 – let's take a – uh, an, an elder-led presbytery model or something like that, right? And you have ten people, ten men on the on the board or whatever that are solid, God-fearing men, and they read their Bible and they they're uh -huh. good theologians. But over the course of the next fifty years, as some of these men die off or retire or move, and they replace them, you're not always guaranteed to replace them with the same caliber of theologian of person who will stand up 
to someone in authority, right? right. I might be a brilliant yep. theologian. I may know all the stuff in here, but my reaction to Pastor Joe telling me about, and I don't have a Pastor Joe, so don't say that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, pa- Pastor Joe talking about Arianism is my response is to go leave and find another church, right? To resign and go find another church instead of standing up and saying, hey, this is wrong. And we need to stop this and you need to leave. Not, not, we need to leave. You need to leave. You're just, you know, you're, you're causing discord in this, um, and, and you're teaching heresy. Um, so, you know, the right person gets in charge and he starts to gather people around him because of his personality. He gets a few of those people on the board and any of these models, doesn't matter how independent you are, doesn't matter how authoritarian you are and i don't mean that in a bad way but uh, authoritarian right. with the episcopal mm-hmm. model or something like that um you, you all these can lead to heresy all these can lead to abuse um and so some of them may take longer than others mm-hmm. um right but it happened right the catholic church it was 1500 years and you know they were by all even by their own standards, they would say we had a problem back then, right? They had several councils I mean, to reform. I mean, so. you, you give them quite a bit of credit. I give them only a thousand fifty-four oh, well, there years. Um. <laughs> but at least, yes, yeah, at least a thousand years, if not, yeah, if, if not at least more. a thousand years. But yeah. um, so none of these poly, none of these polity types are going to be foolproof because they're going to be led by men, right? Yep. Um, because everyone is fallible. Yeah. Yep. It's it's interesting that you you mention the idea of the local person recognizing the problem and saying mm-hmm. I need to leave, right? Um, because we you and I would would agree that sometimes it's right mm-hmm. to stay, and other times it's right mm-hmm. to leave, right? The majority of the time it's probably right to just leave. Um, there are some people, right, in a congregation and even a presbytery model and the hierarchical models, I would, I would assume, that would say it's my job as a layperson, right, to know more than the pastor and then to be able to refute the pastor and take him down. Yes and no, right? There's there's some interesting again there's there's the word. That's the word of the night. <laughs> the interesting uh, podcast. There's there's some <laughs> right, exactly. Uh I might even put that in the show t- <laughs> the show notes. Uh <laughs> but it's there's there's some nuance there, right? Because your what you're saying, right, if if you fall into that I'm the person who has to refute mm-hmm. the pastor, right? What you're saying is, I know the Holy Spirit is telling me this is what's right and he's wrong. Okay. Right? Instead of saying, you know, what if the Holy Spirit's talking to him and I'm wrong? And you you get into that, that fight um, that generally in a lot of congregational churches, particularly in the Baptists, turns into well i have more followers than you so we're going to go and follow go and start this other church right and it splinters and it just creates more disunity uh among the church 
I don't know how you really deal with that outside of having the bishop, right? Um, because the bishops are all equal, right? They ha they have to within the Orthodox mm -hmm. Church, right? There is some some difference within the Catholic Church and the Episcopal model, but sacramentally, right? They're all equal. Okay. They're all on the equal plane, patriarch down to, you know, Bishop of Dallas, right? They're all just bishops. Um, so you don't have that, that vie for power because there's not really that power there. Yeah. Sort of. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because there, again, there's the word, my goodness. You're still going to have, you're still going to have <laughs> some people. Unless again, you are just perfect at you know qualifying your candidates, which nobody is. But you're still going to right. have power struggles, not necessarily for actual authority, but realized authority. But for right. Perceived. So, yep. I could be equal in all my all my fellow bishops, but because they all look to me, or the vast majority of them look to me, I am sort of kind of first among equals, you know. And so right. what I say, uh -huh. everyone else is going to go along with. I mean, technically on paper, it's not that way. But in reality, everyone's kind yeah, of looking so, at me. Sounds like you're talking about a specific person <laughs> a thousand years ago or so. But, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw, um, I know that you just finished watching yeah. Man of God. Um, I, I watched it Friday night. And I, I got to say, it's probably the best movie I've ever seen as I've thought on it and dwelt on it, uh, it's, it was very impactful. The best Christian movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Hands down. Um, good, good, good movie. But, you know, you, you can see it there in the life of St. Nectarios, right? He, he had to deal with that, right? Politics. With people vying for power and politics yep. that don't really even exist. Yep. Right. It's kind of a, it's, it's just there. So yeah, and I so you were mentioning something, and I want to backtrack a little bit here. So yeah, um, you were mentioning someone sitting in the pew who who the layperson who thinks they need to know more about the pastor so they can refute him. I would put myself underneath the category of a layperson sitting in the pew who wants to know more so that I can hold my elders and my pastors accountable. Not necessarily to go to war with them. But when I think that they've said something a little weird, I take them out to coffee and I say, hey, about that thing you said Sunday, did I mishear you? Were you really saying this particular thing? Was there some confusion? And, and I've actually done this before. I can call up my pastor right now. We've had coffee. And I said, mm -hmm. hey, you said this thing. And him and I have come to an agreement on some things. Oh, it was a misunderstanding. I misphrased something in the heat of the moment. Okay. Yep. It happens to the best of us. Um, I remember a pastor when I was in college that said something about um, uh, if you can receive uh, Jesus's one and only son as your personal savior. And, you know, it's just a slip of the tongue, right? It just <laughs> slip, slip of the tongue. Right. Yeah. And there was another time where my pastor and I came together and we have a disagreement on something that he said. Um, neither one of our opinions are, are solid enough in scripture for me to say, that's it. You're a heretic. I'm out. But it was like, okay, I'm going to keep my eye on this and see where it's going because I can see that, okay, if he, if he goes further down this road, we might have some things that I need to 
ask him about higher or go to my other elders. Again, my church currently has a plurality of elders. We've got eight or nine of them or something like that, that I could go to and say, Mm -hmm. Hey, what's going on? Um, I'm not an elder. I'm not on the board. I'm just a regular old church pew sitter. Right now. Now there's a, there's a difference in wanting to know enough to be able to, to one, Mm -hmm. be accountable yourself, but to hold others accountable and saying, I'm, I, I, let's go for coffee and, and right. chat about this, right? Because that's that's really the way that yeah. you should do it, right? If you've got a question, right, you go to your priest, right, mm-hmm. or your pastor, right? You talk to them, you know, but then there are those, there are some people who I've mm-hmm. dealt with who are just sitting there waiting on the pastor yeah. to slip up, right? They're waiting on something so that they can then go and talk to somebody else in the pew over and say, hey, did you this wasn't right. He didn't, this is what it says. Right. And they build their own following. Right. Because, because they really wanted to be the pastor when the last pastor Mm -hmm. left, but they didn't, they didn't get that opportunity. I've, I've seen that happen. And so there is a, uh, a distinction, right? Like you said, that needs to be made. I mean, it's, it's one thing to know enough to hold Mm -hmm. someone accountable. I mean, I've got a degree in biblical studies and Mm -hmm. apologetics, right? I'm not a pastor, right. right? But I know enough to be able to hold someone right. accountable, right? Do I know enough to sit down and write the theology of the church? Right. Absolutely not, right? Um, so there, there is there's importance there. It's the way in which you use it. Yeah, and I... As with everything. And I, as we're talking about here, I'm noticing that one of the other things that affected these uh, polity splits recently is the fact, especially, you know, going all the way to, down to congregational is um, the availability of having the scriptures in your hand, in your house, in your language, and also then the, the idea of increasing literacy as well, piggybacked onto that, you know, a congregational church nowadays could function very well and does function very well. And I'm sure thousands of churches across America because the members of that church are reading their word and they're following along and they're understanding and they can make biblical decisions for their church. And that's great. Um, you know, seven, you know, 1700 years ago, that wasn't the case. Most people didn't have a Bible in their own language. They didn't even speak Latin or whatever it was. And so they were depending on the church leaders to communicate that to them and to communicate the interpretation of that and what that means in their particular lives and their particular situations. And, um, and so it was, it was incumbent on the church leadership at that time to make sure that they were pure. Mm-hmm. Um, and over at least a thousand years, uh, I'll give them 1500 years right. at least, uh, they, they, they varied, they, they, you know, went off the, the path on that one. Um, yeah, th- yeah, there were there were always cases. I say always, you know, not until the fourth century. You know, the church was was fairly consistent for the, at least the first four centuries, um, and then you had Arius, and he spun up his issues and got smacked in the face by Saint. Nicholas. He's the most famous one, uh, but I mean, 
almost every single right. one of Paul's yeah. epistles are written to defend against the Judaizers and stuff like Gnostics, Gnostics or, or something like yeah. that. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's even John's epistles were the same way they was written against the Gnostics. So yep. um, they, they were there. They just didn't have famous names. You know, <laughs> they they right. and, and they didn't have as much right. of a following as, as Arius. So, yep. um, you know, there is no wholly sanctioned polity type, I don't think. I do think that you are right that there is, um, well, we, we talked about this before, qualifications of pastors, qualifications of, and wh- however mm-hmm. you want to phrase that, bishops, elders, pastors, uh, presbyters, um, that that need to be abided by. Um, and that's, that's step one. That's how you choose the leadership of the local church. That's how you choose the leadership of anything above that. Um, and, um, you know, if anybody's going to have any authority over any church, it needs to be qualified that way. Um, and I, well, we'll go into that, some anecdotes now. I personally believe in a plurality of those people. Um, I kind of like how you've described the Orthodox church to me of, you know, every bishop has a vote when they get together, right? They have jurisdiction over their locality or however that works as some sort of geographical area that they're in charge of. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it gets, when it comes to questions of, of theology or, or, you know, bigger questions that are going to affect the, the church as a whole, then they all have to get together in a council. They all have to argue is the wrong word, but debate it out. And then come to uh, I mean, argue sure. is a reasonable word in some cases, but, and then hopefully come to sort of some sort of conclusion and vote upon it, and then right. hopefully most of them, if not all of them, agree on the council's decision and go back and proceed as such. Um, yep. And so that that idea of that plurality of eldership, I think, is is important. Um, I, I I'm always going to be a little bit against centralized single person authorities. Mm-hmm. Um, that is Absolutely. part of my Americanism. Um, is that a word Americanism? <laughs> if it isn't, then it is now. Um, it is now. Yep. But at the same time, um, recognizing that God has called people to these positions. These are God ordained offices. Um, and they're my individual freedom my individual political freedom doesn't have anything to do with how i operate in a church um this is a different sphere of of life of of authority that i need to be submitted to um and and you know to 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 come underneath their authority and to um and to back them up you know, to, to not be constantly um, the the person complaining, the co- person constantly um, hmm, nitpicking, you know. Obviously, Same. if there's some big theological thing, then, yeah, I need to talk to them about it. But if it's, eh, I would have phrased that a little bit differently. Or, eh, you know, that, yeah, that was in the passage, but that wasn't the main point. It's kind of a secondary point or, you know, whatever the my little nitpick of the day is. Mm-hmm. Keep it to myself, you know, and – you know, but if he says something completely off the wall, off the wall, okay, now we need to go clarify some things. Yep. Um. So, I've kind of mentioned it. I grew up in a in the Assemblies of God. I, 
most of my life I was I was in the assemblies of God up until just recently. Um, I never held any credentials or anything like that. I have worked at assemblies of God churches, but just as a staff member, I was never part of the clergy. Um, but I always thought it was more of a uh, of a Baptist type model until I started researching this, and then I was like, oh yeah, duh, I kind of knew this. I just always just thought it was some sort of Baptist model, but the assemblies of God is more of a presbytery type model. It's got um, different layers of organization above the local church. Uh, local church is fairly autonomous, but there are some uh, layers of, of authority above that. Um, the The pastors are ordained and licensed, and there's a couple, couple different levels of ordination through mm-hmm. that higher um, that higher level. Um, but the uh, but that's not. Um, but they don't have a lot of direct authority and control over the individual churches. That's normally the, whoever the past, the, right. the congregation is called to be the pastor. Yeah. It, it's, it's the same from, from what I found, uh, you know, going back to the more African American Pentecostal churches, you know, in the, their Episcopal model, you know, I'm, Technically, I'm friends with the Archbishop of America. Uh, it's a cool title. <laughs> of of I the, want that title. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, of of one of the the churches, right? And the from what I've experienced in these churches, the role of bishop is really more titular, sure, than anything else right um, it's a promotion he has the title right he has the title archbishop and right people come and specifically shake his hand at church and stuff like that but i mean i've sat in a service where he's been there and he's not the one leading right. it right he's not he's not taken a sacramental right. role right it is purely honorary titular um not much else i mean and that that kind of falls into that uh uniqueness of the pentecostal movement where they're all kind of the same but they're all also completely autonomous and so the different denominations within the whole do things different themselves so it could be that his particular group uses it only as an honorary title, but this group over here uses it more sacramentally. And so the archbishop actually has a key role in the direction of the church. So that's, that was a, as I was, as I was reading that, I was like, you know what? I I hadn't really thought about what his role was, but it really is just honorary. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to bring in a, a very odd analogy here. And I don't know if any of our listeners will actually follow me here, but just, let's just go with it. Uh, <laughs> so my family and I, uh, we do Brazilian jujitsu and that's one of the things we've been doing for a couple of years now. Um, in jujitsu, it takes a long time to get your black belt, usually about eight to 10 years. And then once you get your black belt, 
you start to get different degrees of black belt, but it's solely mm-hmm. time based. It's not not some sort of um, accomplishment based. It's solely time based, and there's rules on when you get your first degree and second degree, and blah 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 blah. Well, after so many degrees, and they're, they're indicated on your on your belt by a stripe, by a by a piece of white tape, um, and after so many stripes, it becomes kind of hard to figure out what degree you are because there's been so many stripes now. Um, and they start to all kind of blend together that they change the belt color. You're still a black belt. You're just now another degree above what they could fit on your previous belt. And so they have a special, but it changes color. And so now it's a coral belt. And then after a few stripes on your coral belt, you then become a red belt, but it, you're technically not a red belt. You're just a black belt of an eighth degree or black belt of a ninth degree because black belt is the top belt. But right, yeah. there's just too many stripes to stick on here. And so we're going to give you a different <laughs> color belt. So at a glance, people could say, oh, wow, he's a really high ranking black belt, even though your belt's not black anymore. And then, of course, if you reach the pinnacle of jujitsu training, which I think the earliest you can earn your red belt is like 60 something years old. Like that's the earliest you can earn it. Um, yeah. Is okay. If you see one of those, first of all, they're like, you know, unicorns because those guys are like 60, 70 years old. Um, but also it's simply an honorific of how long you've been in there. And it's simply an indication of, we just couldn't fit more stripes on your belt. So I'm wondering, mm-hmm. and I come from part of my assembly got background. We dealt with people who called themselves apostles and prophets and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of times it was bestowed upon them by somebody else who wasn't necessarily in their church, just a friend, you know, an acquaintance of another church. And right. they would just start calling this person, oh, you're Bishop Joe or you're, you're Apostle Joe or something like that. And the name just mm-hmm. kind of stuck. And they may not introduce themselves as, hi, I'm Apostle Joe, but everywhere they go, they are introduced as that person now because that's now right. kind of attached to them. And usually it's because of time that they've put in, time that they put into the movement, mm-hmm. time that they put into, uh, you know, whatever particular brand of Pentecostalism they are. Um, and so that's, I think it's more of an honorific thing. It's not necessarily a, we as an organization have said that these are our, our titles. It's more people just trying to yeah. give some sort of honorific, you know, when, when your boss says, well, I can't give you a raise, but I can give you a title bump. But you're like, that doesn't help me. I need a, <laughs> I need that raise. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, that's more of kind of what it is, but it's not even your boss giving you a bump. It's like your friends just start calling you, you know, something else versus you actually getting that rec- officially recognized. And eventually everyone just starts calling you that. Yeah, for the uh, non-Episcopal model groups, which would include those uh, that use it more as an mm-hmm. honorary or titular, uh, there is no apostolic succession, right. <laughs> right? There is in the other three, right? The Orthodox, Catholic, and the Anglican. Uh, technically, the Anglicans claim it, but I, I, I don't know that that's Lutheran actually true. Yeah. <laughs> they do, do they they say uh, they are the one true catholic church i love my lutheran i was brothers. gonna say i mean there there is a small baptist church in tennessee that claims apostolic succession and they've tracked which 
a church leader throughout history um, ordained the pastor that led to the next one, except they include Montanus in that, and he was declared a heretic, which completely breaks away the whole apostolic succession, but that's a different story. But was he a heretic Uh, when he bestowed that upon them? Because if not, then it's totally cool. Uh, yeah he was he was a heretic from the very beginning um (laughs) but yeah so so yeah the whole point there being you know apostolic succession matters and so you can't really call yourself an apostle if the apostles haven't called you an apostle first yeah which is my tradition of the church we would say that there are no more apostles that right the, the office of apostle has ceased and it was only for a very small amount of time at the very beginning and it was accompanied by certain signs and wonders um right and since we believe that most of those have ceased and the you know very few evidence of that anymore that therefore there are really no more apostles um and there hasn't been for 1800 years or more Hmm. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> we could get into that one later, but you know, that would be my, right? that'd be my tradition uh, of saying that I, I, I'm in agreement with you that there is the, 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 the apostles need to have some sort of succession and you can't just skip 1800 years and all of a sudden now, now have new apostles. Um, right. Now you're suddenly right. an apostle. Um, and so since, I mean, there's very few people who are calling themselves apostles nowadays. It's usually at the end. It's usually included right. in their one of 45 titles that they give themselves. Um, uh-huh. So, and and most of the time when I read the actual apostles, they're very humble people. They're not giving themselves 30,000 titles. So, you know, they're, right, they're yeah. I'm, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm an apostle too. But I'm... I'm <laughs> yeah, and even the... Uh... Uh, the writers who studied under the apostles follow that same mantra of humbleness and the writers that wrote under them that, that, that humbleness kind of follows apostolic succession. So that is, (laughs) that is church polity. I think, I think we've kind of covered all of them. Um, There's, there's a lot more that we could say about the history of, of each one of these, but I think, you know, this podcast, our, our goal is kind of just sit back and talk and see, you know, whatever we were, whatever we're going to talk about. Right. Um, so do you have any final words? Uh, no, I think, um, I think we kind of said it all that, you know, the major portions of these have historical reasons why they're there. Um, and also all of them have witnessed themselves to be susceptible to, you know, man's fallen mm-hmm. nature. Um, so there's no God ordained, special, holy, sanctified, never going to be ever corrupt method of church polity. Um, I'm not going to cast a vote on which one is better or worse. I think different denominations, I think all of them uh, to a certain extent could, could, could be done well. I, and obviously they could all also be done poorly. Um, I think it's all about, it, it, all, it all comes down to the type of men that you put in charge of these. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
and you know and time you give it you give enough time um and if you're not careful with your selection process then anything can be corrupted at some point even unwillingly even right. if we didn't mean to it just kind of happens but um mm-hmm. not even saying certain people are malicious in doing stuff just kind of sort of happens but um but yeah that'd be my final thoughts awesome well thank you ted i'm going to uh disagree with you a little bit (laughs) and say that there is holiness uh, and sanctification that happens here um, within the the bishop right in the role of the bishop not making them infallible right none of the bishops are infallible unless you're catholic and then the pope is infallible but that's a different story Um, right sometimes infallible some yeah so much fun Uh, but they are holy and set apart um, for a particular role, which is what holiness means, right? Just yeah. to be set apart. So I think that leads us to our next discussion, which I'm just going to make the executive decision it. since you didn't respond Go to my text it. message in the middle of this discussion <laughs> here. <laughs> um, and I, I think I think we ought to talk about holiness okay. and what sure. it means. Um, because a lot of people look at the idea of holiness as being perfect sure right and being somehow different and special right so i think i think it would be a good good discussion to step back and say are there holy objects and holy places and holy people oh we're gonna go that direction okay sound like fun let's do it cool well let's let's talk in a couple of weeks